So this is the first of um, series of conversation with Keka. Um, I'm going to be exploring some interesting area with a friend. So my conversation with um, this particular person, Freeman, tend to be philosophical. So you know, as much as we're going to get practical advices and some things he has done in his journey as a fatherhood, uh, some of the some of the conversations might tend also towards the philosophical aspect because that is where kind of like most of the understanding comes from that you translate to your general um, life, like you apply them. So this is going to be an interesting one. Um, so welcome to the podcast, Freeman. Welcome, Keka. Should I call you Keka or by some other name? Uh, whichever you want. Uh, okay. it, it, it's, just, it's just me and you talking like we talk almost every day. So. <laughs> so, All right. Yeah, thank you for having me on the show. It's a, it's a bit of a, a, a nervous experience being that I'm the first person you decided to sh- uh, invite to your very first episode so yeah we'll see how let's just let's pretend it's not a podcast and let's just have a conversation Great. so what are your what's on your mind today uh i okay for one I'm, I'm, I'm a little from my voice you could tell i'm a little bit nervous because this is <laughs> <laughs> this is the first recorded session and i want it to go great because i feel this series of conversations series of conversations that will be happening like if there's anybody that's really interested, it's something that will help them because it's hearing from people that are doing it and having like a honest, sincere conversation about it. And that is not what a lot of people get out there. So when you ask people about their story, they tend to paint the rosy pictures or tell you all is good or trying to portray the perfect examples of family and all that. But having people that are willing to come on board, talk about it from an honest perspective, the challenges they face and how difficult and some of the things you could learn. So yeah, I I hope it's something that will be that that a lot of people will like. So we could continue doing this, but like it's, it's good to have you as the first person because like you and I will have very interesting conversations offline. So this should this should set the pace for for the conversations down the line. So um, a little bit of an introduction. So I'd like you to take a couple of minutes to introduce yourself real quick to the people out there. Is there enough about me to be introduced in a couple of minutes? More like a, more like a couple of seconds. Okay. So yeah, you told everyone my name, Freeman, and uh, yeah, um, biologically, biologically, I I I became a, a dad um, about two years now. Um. So yeah, it's about two years. In about nine days, I just I will be exactly. Exactly two years old. So. Oh, nice! I I remember yeah. I remember when she was born. It feels like yesterday. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So it has been an interesting journey so far. Um, yeah. Based for the context of the conversation, I think uh, you can call me a two-year-old dad. <laughs> yeah. But I I think for the initial audience, like people that will be listening to this podcast, they will be within that range either from a zero to like a two to three year old dad because i like most people in my circle they are like within that that bracket so some of the things oh. like you'll be talking about some of the lessons you'll be sharing i think it will be very much helpful to them okay so, that, that 
that, that puts a lot of expectation on me because you're assuming that I know so much to, to share. I think that this journey is an ongoing journey. You learn as you go. You discover things as you go. And uh, it's not a journey you would ever come to, to an end. You would always, you would always uh, be on the journey. So, yeah, let's have, let's, 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 let's talk. Okay. So... As as part of a conversation, so like I, I start with the first question. Like for me, I like to know what does fatherhood mean to you. What it means to you? Yeah, yeah. To to, to me, I think there, there there is a whole lot to it. There is a biological aspect, which um, obviously means that you have some uh, pro- progeny and. Uh, um, that's about it for the biological aspect. Or maybe not, because mm, the whole instinct behind uh, bring, bringing forth offspring is about genetic survival, right? Yeah. So it, 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 it's a good thing to know that you've uh, created, your genes have passed on to the next generation, and you hope that your genes would continue as many generations as the humanity will be on this planet. So, yeah, that that's a it's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing to, to experience. Um, then on the emotional side, uh, fatherhood. Yeah, it, you can say it's fulfilling. It's fulfilling because there is this happiness you get when you see your child um, born and grow right before your eyes start taking steps. You know, generally, you know, um, transitioning from that bundle that uh, comes out of a woman into a human being, it's, it's, a, it's a fascinating uh, experience, basically. I'm not sure if that has captured exactly what you are expecting regarding the meaning of fatherhood. But then I think... It's an ongoing conversation, so we are going to go around and around that sort of concept. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, so it, we'll just talk about I, it, I, I, job, I, right? It's Sorry? A job that you, I said it's a job yeah. that you hope to perform to the best of your ability, right? Yeah. And it's a job that you hope to perform to the expectations of society as well. So the standard of measurement is not just your own standard. You hope to do right by your own standards, obviously. You hope to do right by the society's expectation of the responsible father. You also hope to do right by um, your child as well. I mean, in, initially, the child cannot... Um, well, the child can expre- express some, some expectations, like you have to be there to take care of the child, right? Yeah. Um, eventually, they are going to grow up and they would have... Um, the, the nature of their expectations would evolve as well. You are also expected to evolve accordingly. So, um, and those expectations can come in many, many ways, you know, spiritual development, emotional, intellectual, health and safety. There's a lot that comes with the journey, a whole lot. Yeah, like you, you said a lot that we're going to unpack down the line. Because the conversation will be like a self-evolving conversation, so I, I, I tried not to script any of the conversation, so it would 
so it will, yeah. it will kind of like open itself up and lead to wherever it leads to. Uh, and I'm thinking by the time we're, we're done, we'll get the most out of it. So I think the next question on my mind is, is there a marked difference from when you were, say, married to when you had a child? Like, is there, is there a mental shift? Is there, is there a difference in perspective that comes with being, being responsible for another life? Yes. Yes, I would say there's a difference in, in a lot of things. Um, some of the differences you don't you don't even know that you're consciously uh, that there is a difference. You don't know that there is a conscious it's not a conscious effort to make the change, but sometimes I think some of the changes are conscious as well. Um, I think one of the very first things that comes to my mind, and maybe any other parent, there, people have different experiences. But for me, uh, the immediate experience, the immediate impact of having a child is that instantly you know that um, you are responsible for another human being in a way that you've never been before. So mm. this is it. Now, I had um, the first son in my family. I have younger ones. And I, at a point, I was responsible for taking care of them to an extent. But there was no sense of ultimate responsibility. Mm. right ultimate responsibility for a lot of things but in this case with a child of your own there is that sense of ultimate responsibility you are totally responsible for the child's safety totally because safety is quite important in the earliest stages where uh, the child is basically i think there is a discussion as to when the child starts becoming a real a real person because initially it's like it's just it's just a human being that wants to eat and sleep, and that's okay. it. You understand? <laughs> yeah, so there's absolutely no sense of navigating the world except to find the, 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 the right nipple or, or, or the right feeding bottle, right? They just yeah. care about that feed and sleep, feed and sleep. But then I think you get the sense that they are paying a lot of attention to what goes on around them. It's a it's a new it's a new environment for them, new experiences, new sounds. I know that um, when they are inside inside uh, the womb, they hear okay. sounds, but those sounds are mostly muffled. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear. You. Okay, yeah, they can hear sounds, but um, when they come out, the sounds are completely different. Everything is louder. I can imagine everything is too bright. Yeah. Know? So yeah, they pay a lot of attention to the environment, but um, there is a limited sense of uh, safety. They don't know exactly what is safe and what isn't, especially when they start moving around, uh, touching things, the instinct to put things in their mouth. You have to be um, alert to that instinct to be sure that you help them navigate the world properly, teach them what is not good for eating and what is good for eating, you know, things like that. Um, there is that sudden awareness. But secondly, another um, immediate thing that happens when the child comes is that you know instantly that um, your sleep time is going to be drastically re reduced. Oh, yeah. More on the side of the mom. More on the side of the mom. But yeah, the dads are also not uh, completely 
um, insulated from the sleeplessness that comes, you know. All right. Yeah, so um, that, 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 that's one major impact. I mean, I can go on and on about all these subtle changes that you, you have to make, subtle adjustments. For me, I would say that there was no point where there was a specific thing that I was unaware of. And then when the child came, I suddenly had to turn on a switch and start being aware of. You understand? Yeah. I think it was more of an, it was just a transition for me. In terms of safety, I consider myself pretty safety conscious, pretty health conscious. So for myself and for people around me, so um, my sight, I think I'm short-sighted, right? Yeah. I, I, uh, if I have to see something from afar, I have, like I, I use glasses when I drive. But then um, and, uh, if I want to see, if I sit too far from a television screen, I have to use my glasses to see the sharp images. But for some reason, if there is a pin somewhere, I'm going to see it. Oh, you I see. Understand? Yeah. Exactly. Pin. I understand. With a child around, I understand how uh, how quickly that situation can uh, um, go that... south. Exactly. The child can pick it up. It looks nice. It's shiny. Put it in their mouth. And they can't even tell you that there's a pain in their mouth yeah. or that they've swallowed the pain. And the pain can be in their system for days. You want to be aware until they start having a fever and so on. You don't know what to tackle. Yeah, it's... um. It's a bit scary, but then if you have that natural, like, is it natural? If you've developed a sense of risk over time, then you can easily get into, um, into the mood for, you know, protecting your child, basically. Yeah, I, I get you. Like, most of the questions I'll be asking, I think they're mostly from my, like, my personal perspective, because I feel I'm at that point where, it, it's an inevitability for me because it's something I really want to do. I want to be dad. And in the next couple of years, I might get there. So I, I want to, I, I think for me, I'm trying to understand if, if, if there's a, if, how do I put it? Like if at any point, even before you became a dad, like you went through that process of actually thinking through, tr thinking through the situation and trying to set yourself up so that when you become a dad, like it's easier i know no amount of pressure will really make you ready in terms of the emotional um the emotional responsibility because it's a whole new different phase like if you haven't experienced it you won't be able to adequately prepare for it but i still want to ask like did you at any point in time before either you got married or before you had your first child like did you at any point in time say actively prepare yourself in terms of what you did, what you ate, how you lived your life, such that when you had a child, it's easier to okay. kind of support the child. Okay, okay, okay. Um I think that I think that um the whole concept of parenting um is 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 it starts earlier than most people realize. Most people think that when you have a child that you will become a parent. But then most people, people are right now parenting themselves. I mean, parenting generally, even though they do not have children yet, you are parenting by the choices you're making right now. If you, yeah. I know you to be someone who goes to the gym 
fairly, fairly re- regularly. You, it, it requires di- discipline, right? And it yeah. requires a, a vision for long-term benefits as a consequence of short-term discomfort. Yeah? So yeah. if even pre-having a child, you, you know, build the discipline to read books, I know you read a lot, to consume podcasts, I know you're a Joe Rogan fan, Eric Weinstein, Greg Weinstein, I know <laughs> that's a, I, I know that you're already into uh, consumption of long-form intellectual content. Right? It yeah. takes a lot of discipline, and curiosity, and uh, um, yeah, discipline and curiosity to 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 keep it up over an extended period. So I would say that to a large extent, you're already parenting by parenting yourself. Mm. You cannot parent somebody else if you cannot effectively parent yourself. That's why they say. Uh, the parent is the best, the best example for the child. Now, I would not say there was ever a point in my life where I decided I am about to get have children or I hope to have children someday. Therefore, I need to live this way. You understand? Yeah. Every step I've taken in terms of developing myself and so on has been because I think it's a good thing to do, not because uh, it's something I am hoping I'll teach somebody else someday. But that in itself is, is parenting. I am making choices, choices about what I eat. Yeah, because I really, I don't consume junk. I do my best to avoid uh, junk as much as possible. So for more than, I would say for more than 15 years now, I've been a very clean eater. Wow. And then, yeah, yeah, more than 15 years. I, my, what I drink, my, all my, I'm exclusively um, limited to drinking water. Of course, once in a while, take a soft drink and bottle. I'll say on the average, maybe a bottle of soft drink per year if I wow. get exposed. Or even, um, say, uh, uh, alcoholic drinks. Yeah, I test beer from time to time. But on the average, it might be once per year as well, one bottle a year. So um, that's a constant choice I made because... Um, I call these things poison, and we can go into a lot of all of the reasons why they can reasonably be called poisons, but that's mm-hmm. a discussion for, for right. another day. But yes, I see them as poisons, as slow poisons, and I choose to stay away from them. And then I hope to transfer that to my children as well. I hope to transfer that to my children as well. So, um, because I've parented myself a certain way, I would at least lay the framework for understanding why these things might be harmful to you. Initially, as the child is, when the child is very young, they might not really understand the concept. So you have to be a bit, um, you have to be a bit uh, authoritarian in how you achieve the aim of keeping the child healthy with respect to consumption of these, um, these things that are not very healthy for you. However, when the child's capacity for understanding develops sufficiently to understand the concept of why this thing is sweet now, but it can cause you more harm down the line, when you can explain that for the child to understand, then you can uh, disengage from the authoritarian strategy for, for um, transferring the knowledge and move to a more conversational approach, a more philosophical approach where the child himself or herself 
will be able to articulate why they think it's a good choice to avoid coke. I saw um, um, there was this thing about uh, this uh, during the U- 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 Euros uh, 2020. Yeah, uh, Ronaldo. Ronaldo. Yeah, pushed aside. Yeah, he pushed aside the bottle of coke and told recommended water to everybody. <laughs> After that, I saw someone. I, I think it was a video recorded at his house where somebody offered his child um, a coke or something like that. No, a chocolate. A chocolate. Yeah. And then the child, speaking Portuguese, said, uh, "Daddy said we shouldn't take uh, cho- chocolate." No chocolate to, no chocolate to. <laughs> so at that point, at that point, I'm not sure Ronaldo has been able to actually conversationally um, communicate that chocolate might not be the best thing for the child. It's a bit more, more, um, more authoritarian. But down the line, I'm sure the child will understand. At the point where the child understands, then it's up to the child to make the choice whether to go this way or that 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 way. But you, as a parent, you you can only take the child to a certain point, and then at that point you disengage. And then, well, you you would never fully disengage, but um, at least you you like, out yeah, you back yeah, like, You you said a couple of things that I think I'll pull on down uh, along the line in terms of um, the point where the child begins to make the decision and how much the parent influence will, will be that. And the point when a parent knows to kind of like backpedal, but but for now, like the where we started the conversation, we talked about parenting yourself as an individual, and yeah. it, it doesn't what like it doesn't elude me that the concept of parenting yourself requires discipline in a world filled with distraction, and I can't help but notice that not a lot of people have that discipline. Not a lot yeah. of people have been effect have been effective in parenting themselves. You just have to go outside and and just observe people make decisions and you see that those people they become parents all right and decisions out there yeah so so like they they become parents and they have like younger ones dependent on them on them and they haven't gotten to the point to the self-realization where that i have to parent myself then parent my child so do you have a situation where most people just learn on the job? Like I think um, what analogy I kind of made to to understand the scenarios, I just do the do the map, like the, the time map for the average individual. So you see like when the person is zero to when they're like say 10 or so, they're mostly dependent on their parents. Then from 10 to school, say when they're 23, 24, they are still in school focused on career. Then 24, 25, they, they, they're working and they start falling in love. That's they did fall in love before. Then they start a family. Now, for most people, the idea of starting a family is to be with somebody else. So I find somebody I'm attracted to that I like and I want to spend the rest of my life with the person. So I become, I start to go into that familial arrangement. Now, people have a conception that, oh, we might have children. How many children do we want to have? Two, three, four. So that conversation happens, but I don't. For most people, it does. It just ends at how many number of children do we want to have? The principles of raising the children if the child will be homeschooled, the kind of school, like like those other details, also to the point of how how will my attitude as a person affect the child? 
most people don't go through that phase. They find themselves oh, they're in love, they're married. Then the next thing, the next logical thing is to have children because I'm a married man or because I'm a married woman. So they go on to have children. So I, I like for I think for the most part, you hardly find people in that mental state that actively think about how like parenting themselves to parent somebody else. So it's as if they're just going through the motion. So the first motion is finish school. So yeah. I, I, I think that there is a dialectic in this situation All where right. there are two sides to it. It's a it's a continuum, right? Okay. Uh, you you have a situation where some people are running on autopilot, you know, they, nothing is planned ahead and everything just goes. And then there is the opposite end of the continuum where um, everything is strictly planned and there is no flexibility, no deviations from that plan. I think both, both systems could be disastrous. Um, for the most part, you should have a framework of um, what you want to do, what needs to be done. Have a framework for it and let that framework be adaptable, right? That framework should be adaptable and then um, it will be adaptable according to to the needs of the reality as you progress through the journey. So, um, in my own case, uh, well, for the most part, for the first couple of years of a child's life, I think your chief concern is that you want the child to be healthy and safe. That's the chief concern. Uh, in the second year of the child's life, you might start thinking about school. I know that some persons put their, their three-month-old baby in a daycare and uh, start yeah. um, teaching them A, B, C, D from the beginning. Uh, personally, I wasn't in support of that. I think um, my wife might have wanted that, but then I wasn't really in support of it because I think that it's not natural. You don't, we are humans, right? Yeah. We don't give birth to a child and then in the first three months of the child's life or six months or even a year of the child's life where the child is still trying to make sense of even their own house and their own immediate family then you dump them in the deep end of the, of the pool of social interaction and uh, in, in addition to social interaction you are dumping them in the deep end of the pool with respect to uh, contact with germs and all that and all that so um, i think it's more natural to let a child develop at home to a certain point before you start thinking about schooling. And even when you start school, the first um, few years of the schooling, you know, I think that in, I think the people who run such schools, the nursery school, the kindergarten system, they understand that for the most part, the child needs to feel happiness and a sense of care and um, you know, that sort of thing as against uh, root intellectual development. You know, you don't start grinding them with A, B, C, D, 1, 2, 3, 4, yeah. basis, which even explains why most of those things are presented in forms of songs and nursery rhymes, you know, so yeah. that they are um, happy activities, they are pleasant activities, playful activities that the child might be... Um, might might be at, uh, attracted to and by playing they learn as a consequence so the primary objective or i I'm, I'm i'm not sure if that's the primary objective but in reality is that um let them have fun when they are quite young and then if 
they learn as a consequence of that, then it's a good thing. So um, that was your your point was that you know there should be a different plan, but I'm saying that there should be a plan that is a bit flexible or even largely flexible, and then you can um, you would not have issues navigating. You don't have too many issues navigating. Um, you know. Yeah, like for yeah. me, I, I'm I'm not even like I'm not very I'm not how to pose the word like I'm not very caught up in the firmness of the plan in as much as the awareness of having a child and the amount of responsibility that comes with having somebody dependent on you. Yeah. So I, I think a lot of people lack that awareness. And I have spoken with a couple of people and they um when they are when they are being honest and most of them are, are like, yeah, that that awareness like this it's the awareness that comes from oh I am a father. But there's that deliberateness that says I'm a father and my actions X Y Z, like I, I don't, like I, I think for most children, children learn mostly from their parents, all right. So they learn by the process of um, mimesis. So yeah. if if somebody has a negative attitude towards a particular thing, so if you have an attitude that is contrary to what you're trying to teach your child, or you're trying to imbibe your child the reading culture or the learning culture, but you on your own, you don't read, you're not a learner or something. Like, it's difficult. You're sending the child two opposite messages. So that's where I'm kind of yeah. coming from. That, uh, that deliberateness that most people, they don't have it. So it's like autopilot. Like, yeah. autopilot, and you're just looking at it, like, oh, I'm having a child, I'll try and the thing I see with people that want to become parents and the thing they say that makes me laugh the most is, oh, I'll protect my child and take care of my child and give my child whatever my child wants or do whatever is in my power to make the child happy and stuff. Like all those very superficial, high-level answers that sounds good to the ear but has no, has no sense when you actually... Yeah, they, are, they are not practical, right? You say you give your child whatever the child wants. If the child wants to play with a sharp knife, will you do that? Yeah, you allow that most likely you will not, so um, that's definitely uh, out of the, the books. The primary aim for me, as I said, is for the child to be safe. So sometimes you have to make the child safe against its own will, and we know that that's because the child does not at that point understand the consequences of their actions, they don't know that the uh, the electrical. Uh, electricity is harmful. They don't know that a knife could be harmful. They don't know that hot water could be harmful. They don't know that a pain can be harmful. So even when they want to play with it, it's a question of the child's happiness versus the child's safety. So as the adult in the picture, you have to choose uh, safe safety all the time. Um, yeah, yeah. You, you said something about um, being on autopilot. I can't remember exactly how you crafted it now. But I would say that um, if anybody who has been a reasonable adult, you know, for some time, before marriage, before childbearing, uh, and um, um, who you can say reasonably has made some good decisions for themselves in terms of how they live their lives, then you can expect that the transition uh, from that to um, 
making the right choices for a parent, I mean for a child, might also not be so complicated for the person. Yeah. Now, if you've been a drunkard all your life, you drink till you're completely drunk, and uh, then you have a child, and then you realize that, oh, at this point, I need to withdraw from the alcohol so I can be a better parent. I think the situation is more drastic for certain people than others. So there are those who will try to live a double life. They are not even, um, they cannot uh, yet stop, they, they, they haven't stopped the, the drunkard life. However, they don't want their child to see that side of it because they know it is wrong. So what, because they know it is wrong and they continue to do it, I think that's a failure of parenting of self. Mm. So if you, have, if you have failed to parent yourself despite knowing the right choices to make, well, uh, it, it remains to be seen how effective uh, parenting of another person will be. Now, children are very good at saying hypocrisy. Yeah? If you try to instruct a child in a certain way and you yourself don't live that way, well, I think it's reasonable to expect that the child will quickly see that hypocrisy and uh, understand that you're not living what you preach and um, maybe the real lesson you're teaching the child is you can live a double life. Sure. Sure. Um, so if, if I were to ask you, maybe on a more general level, on a more general level, so yeah. if you had to recommend, what are the best attributes do you think somebody that is looking to either become a father, a mother, or whatever the description is, <laughs> what are the best attributes do you think the person should have before venturing into that endeavor? That's a complicated one. It sounds simple, but it's not. I don't think it's as simple as listing things. Yeah, it's a more nuanced. Um, I, I think it requires a more nuanced answer. I, I know you're able to give a more nuanced answer. That's why I I think we've mentioned some of them already, the things that easily come to mind. For one, I think feeding habits are important. Yeah. Um, eating the right stuff. Eating the right stuff. You're what you eat, right? Um, mm -hmm. For me, for a very long time, a very, very long time, I've always um, lived by the, the ed edict that I don't want to eat something that has a list of ingredients on it. <laughs> you, you, you understand? <laughs> real food, real food is ingredients. Real food does not contain ingredients. Oh, real yeah. food is actually ingredients itself, if, if mm. I'm allowed to put it that way. Mm. So, um, it's inevitable that a child would eat um, biscuits, would take some candy, some sweets, you know, um, some flavored drinks at some point. It's almost inevitable. But then you as a parent, because you have lived your life a certain way, um, in terms of feeding habits, it would be easier to structure the feeding of your house, your family, such that um, the options available for the child would always be um, healthy food, right? And then they grow eating healthy, and that gives them that foundation for a long-term um, um, health. Um, another thing closely related would be exercise, right? I think. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying that somebody who does not exercise cannot be a good parent, 
But I think all of these things come down to discipline. You, mm-hmm. you, if you are cons- if you are consistent with exercising, it's it's some evidence that you can discipline yourself and make right choices. And um, if you can do that, then um, um, then it is reasonable to expect that some of that discipline will rub off on your child, either by you directly teaching them or they are learning through the process of mimesis. Yeah. Yeah. Um, then emotional maturity is another. Mm. Emotional, emotional maturity is another. I mean, a child cannot parent another child, even though if we live in an unfortunate world where um, it happens from time to time. So I'd, I'd, I'd like you, I'd like you to, to like to explain what emotional maturity is before you go on to say how it relates to being a better parent. Emotional maturity comes. There are many, many facets to it, I, I would say. Um, so for the purpose of this conversation, so, 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 so I would say that um, emotional maturity, there is this, there's a delicate balance between, um, um, between love and uh, love and di- discipline and play, you know, that sort of mm. thing. Yeah, so yeah. Um, you're supposed to love yourself, you're supposed to love your neighbors, you're also supposed to do a lot of other things. You're supposed to um, um, not take shit, yeah, right? Mm-hmm. You're supposed to not t- take shit from people, you're supposed to be nice to people, you're supposed to have a firm grasp of your own emotions with respect to a particular scenario. What am I feeling at this moment and how am, how am I responding or how am I tempted to respond? You know, mm-hmm. all of those things um, contribute to the concept of emotional maturity. I think it would be hard for me to have a very uh, one-line or two-line definition of what emotional maturity is. But then I think that people who generally can have a very good degree of self-control, especially with the with how they 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 manifest their e- e- emotions, both positive and ne- negative, um, I think that that can be seen as a, a a level of emotional maturity. Now I'm not saying people should be. Uh, completely emotionless. You definitely have to feel things. You feel joy, you feel sadness, you feel anger, uh, but then you also have to manage them in the right proportions at the right uh, times. Yes. So, um, one thing I can say for myself is that um, uh, maybe it would be that I don't panic much okay. um, when there is a problem, if there is a problem on the ground. I'm not likely to get hysterical almost immediately and you know um, i'm sure you can pick picture what i'm saying yeah, yeah. Um, that that hysteria and panic and so on is not really part of my makeup and incidentally it's something i i found myself doing a very long time ago i think i was in ss1 oh. yeah i was in ss1 i was quite young i think i was around 13 or so 12 i can't really remember but there was some sort of crisis in school and everybody was running all over the place. And it occurred to me, it was like an epiphany, 
that I don't know where the problem is. And everybody's running in every di direction. So what if I run towards the problem? Mm. You understand? What if I run towards the pro problem? So I think it was a, an issue of, you know, some of these schools where there's an inter-school conflict and uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, rough boys want to be rough with other people. And so you get the scenario. So yeah, yeah. I, I, I wasn't really... Eating. The instinct to run was there, but it was immediately checked. Immediately checked by, hey, you need to find out exactly what is going on, how severe it is, and what direction it is coming from before you make a move. Because people ran all over the place. People were falling, getting injuries, you know. And in the end, there was no crisis at all. There was no nothing <laughs> in the end wanted the earlier reaction. There was no conflict. So maybe somebody played a prank. Or maybe somebody saw something and misunderstood and raised an alarm and, you know, sent everybody into panic. So um, that's the earliest example in my life I can remember of being almost completely calm in a, in a chaotic situation um, that was potentially dangerous. So, but then that presence of mind, that presence of mind too, yeah, like, to think through things and not rush, to think through things and not rush. I think um, uh, it's a. I, I I don't want to say it's a good parenting trait because it sounds like uh, I'm saying it for myself, but I think that if there is a crisis, um, and you and your child are panicking, then it will look nice, you know. So yeah, I, parent, I, I, parents should have that 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 presence, that calmness. If you might be scared. You know, you would be scared for sure that something might get out of hand, but then you you should be the calming presence in the room. Is what yeah. I'm trying to say. So, I, I, is, I does, I, does that count emotional maturity? You know, like, I, 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 like from the explanation, like from what you said, like, I, I think I would go on to say emotional maturity is like the most important and significant um, attribute to have as, as a parent. And why? I'd say that is because it's like emotional maturity is, is broad, like it's a self-sufficient trait. So it has like other facets. Like it's it just has a lot of things. Yeah. yeah. So like it's if it's something you are like somebody is able to understand and practice and appreciate. Like I think it's a very because like from the stories I've heard, like most times early parents, and most especially, it takes a toll on your emotion. Not necessarily your mental acumen or, or your um, your mental acumen in terms of IQ, intellectual, and drag. It's maybe when they start going to school and you have to do a couple of assignments and all that. But yeah. with child bringing is like the patience, like the being aware, knowing what is going on. Because yes, I I, I can make the case that early children they are very they're kind of like they're intelligent and and, and all that. But they are more emotional beings than intelligent beings. First, first child and second child and so on. Yeah. Is that what by early children? No, I mean like um, when you give birth to a child, like a couple of years of formation. So okay, okay. So okay. when when they are still young, infants from like early stages of the human yeah, journey. Early stages of the, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, early stage of the human journey post pregnancy. I think is a more emotional endeavor than intellectual endeavor 
because you are basically trying to understand the child and the child is trying to understand um, its environment and communicate and all those um, feedbacks from the environment and it's mostly true like conveying emotions to the parent and the parent being able to decipher what his emotions are to know when it's hungry when it's in pain. Yeah. So, yeah, 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 yeah. So I really think that I would like from from the conversation so far, I would I would I would rate emotional maturity up there as to, as to what what's required to to actually be a good parent. How do you factor in risk awareness? You know, risk awareness in terms of everything, risk and safety into this emotional maturity thing. Because I tend to rate uh, risk very highly. Mm. Um, I think from an evolutionary perspective, um, yeah. you don't need to be happy to reproduce. <laughs> so, yeah. so the primary aim from an evolutionary pe- perspective would be that the child survives to pass on the genes to the next level. So is there a dialectic there? Is there, is it, is it a, is there a trade-off that needs to, to, to be made or can we simplify something that involves both? No, I, I I don't think um, there's I don't think there's a trade-off between risk and safety and emotional maturity. So, like 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 I like I said initially, like emo- emotional maturity is all encompassing. All right. So the first instance of being emotional mature is first of all I need to wear, know where I am emotionally. And I need to know where the child is at emotionally. And I need to know what is required to take the child from this level of helplessness to the level where the child becomes more self-sufficient. So if I know what is if I know what is required, so I'm able to do a proper risk analysis. So I'm able to do um, like a safety and a risk analysis to know the right trade-offs. So I know the decisions that I can make that I won't be too hysterical in making those decisions, that I won't be on the other spectrum where I'm panicky so that I'll make excessive decisions, or I won't be in, in the other extreme where I am under, I am, I am under analyzing the risk and I'm, ex- I'm inadvertently exposing the child to more risky situations. So like that emotional maturity gives me a balance to know there's this end, there's this end of the spectrum, but what does it require to take the child to the next level? And I do that. And part of that is the safety and um, and removing the necessary risk from the child. So, so I, I I I might I might be stretching it, but I think emotional maturity covers a lot of things. Yeah, it covers a lot of things, but there are some things it cannot just make up for. If I think that biologically it is expected, especially for the female folk. That um, that when a mother becomes pregnant and has a baby, that period there's a there's an increased sense of risk awareness. They are more more um, more aware of risk in the environment and so on. They're more sensitive to risk, basically. Yeah. Um. However, however, I think there's there is this thing about I think the risk awareness is a thing. Okay. And it may be more developed in some people than others. You know, when you point out that, hey, 
this scenario you've been in for the past 30 minutes is a risky situation. Some people do not realize on their own that they have been in a risky, risky situation for the past 30 minutes. You have to point it out to them before they start. I think I, I tend to see risk, uh, risk awareness as a sense. A sense like, you know, it, it, it's a sense basically so, such that uh, some people have it more developed than others. For example, um, some person might be in a risky situation for, for say, the past. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Um, a person might be in a risky situation for 10, 15, 20 minutes and not realize that they are in a, in a risky situation. Mm. You understand? However, yeah. some, per some other person might instantly recognize that this is a risky situation. So while some people can recognize it instantly, others need it to be pointed out to them before they can see that it is a risky situation. So is that a problem of um, emotional immaturity or insufficient risk awareness, insufficient development of the risk sense? So I, I think insufficient um, risk awareness is a better, is a better, um, I think it's a better way to look at it because... So it's not a, it's not a failure of emotion. Like, of emotional maturity. No, I don't think I don't think it's a failure of emotional maturity because like like you said, like some people might be naturally attuned to to either being risk more analytical in terms in terms of the assessment of risk. Like your I think basically if you do a risk analysis, you have to like your risk tolerance, like to understand the kind of person you are. Like if you're if you're high risk, if you're a high risk tolerant person, if you're a medium, if you're a low risk tolerant person. So the part, the place where I sort in that emotional maturity into the equation is, like I said, like you have to understand yourself first. Like for me, and I want to, like, I know that at the beginning of the child, they're mostly helpless. They're dependent on me. And there's a high risk factor associated with them being kids at that point in time. So if, if I have done the gazuntas and I've, and I've looked at myself and I know that, oh, I'm a naturally a high, like I have a low risk tolerance, I have a high risk tolerance and all that. So what does that mean for me as an individual? How am I likely to respond to situations? So am I likely to respond to situations that are high risk as if they are nothing because I'm open to taking more risk? So then how do I factor in having a child in the mix? Let's say, for example, um, say like as a single person, so as a single person, the, the amount of financial risk you can take might be a little bit higher, might be upper to your risk tolerance and all that. So you might have a higher risk tolerance as a single person. So you might want to take in more risk. But once you decide to get married to somebody else, your risk tolerance naturally reduces or you tend to like a responsible adult, we tend to recalibrate his or her risk tolerance. So your risk tolerance might not necessarily reduce but the amount of risk you are willing to take, you might want to reduce that because you are factoring in that it's not just you. You also have like other people dependent on you. So you know that once the situation goes bust, it's not just going to affect you alone. It's going to cascade down to other people. So then you might want to create more hedge or more buffer 
you might want to reduce your impact or the surface impact of, of the risk when they go belly up. So that is where I think emotional maturity is. Like once you've identified yourself as an individual, like who you are in terms of risk tolerance and stuff. So the emotional maturity helps you build on top of that, transposes it to your current situation. Okay, I'm a father. This is the person I am. I am, I'm a father now. Like what are the best decisions that are best suited for this child I'm trying to bring up? not just for myself or not the kind of person I am, like what is best suited for the child, then I adopt whatever it is that is required at that point in time to get the child to the nest from the very dependent um, um, baby. Right. Yeah, it's like a more independent, they can think and do things for themselves. So, yeah. Yeah. So yeah I, I, you're, you're right in, in that sense. I would just like to add that I think another angle to the risk um, risk, um, you know, emotional uh, emotional maturity being a factor in terms of risk is that um, if you know that you tend to be um, not very aware of risk in your environment, then you, you can identify that as a weakness and consciously work to improve it. Yeah. You, you understand? You will not let yourself remain in an autopilot uh, situation, yeah. You yeah. don't let yourself uh, an autopilot situation where you know you have a child around you and you are so completely immersed in your phone, in your phone, and uh, you forget to you know lift your head once in a while, once every couple of minutes to look at the child to see what they are playing. With. You understand? Because, guy, children know how to look for danger. It's like there's a magnet. <laughs> like there's a, there's a magnet that attracts them towards the most dangerous thing you can find around yeah. you as an adult maybe because of experience you no longer identify that as something that can harm you mm -hmm. but yeah. it is something that can definitely harm the child if the child handles it uh, wrongly so you might not notice its presence there so part of this emotional uh, maturity, you know, that you're talking about is understanding that this thing is not risky to me, but it could be risky to the child. You understand? Yeah. And then working that into your environmental awareness, your situational awareness of things around me, then scissors lying around me. Of course, when I was single or without a child, the scissors doesn't uh, represent any harm on a normal day. A pin hardly represents any harm. A razor blade doesn't represent any harm. A cable, electricity, you know, to a large extent doesn't represent any harm when things, uh, all things being equal. However, emotional maturity would uh, make you aware that there is another factor in, in, in play. There is a child in play. And that child doesn't have the experience with these things as you do. And uh, because of that, they can mishandle these things and get injured. So, yeah, emotional intelligence definitely has a role to play in risk. Yeah, um, yeah even though, like, I I noticed, like, I think I was looking at, I don't know, like, I, I don't know when I go to the mindset, but I got to the point where when I look at things, especially house and maybe some type of cars, house most especially, anyway, like I see some people selling very nice houses and they have like like very expensive houses. 
then the first thing I look when I look into the house, like the house is not properly child proof. Then you see a stairway that has no um, guardrails or something. You see very glass um, yeah. at from between the up floor and down floor. <laughs> and and yeah. I, yeah, this, this is a nightmare looking to happen, especially if you are going to raise children in that house. So like so that's why I said like, like part of that being in that state of mind is realizing that okay as an individual I might want this it might be appealing to me but what does that mean if I'm going to not right. yeah if I'm going to have another exactly especially in that same house so you might want to go through the um, stress of child proofing the house and creating that sort of safety net so that it doesn't harm the child and all that so yeah, yeah I, I think I think. That, yeah. the emotional maturity like it plays like another another thread i want to pull yeah the onset yeah. of the of, of the of the conversation when i asked you what does being a father mean to you what does fatherhood mean to you uh, and you said something in the line that um i think said something about like being a fatherhood is not just about like being the father it's also the like what is best for the child and also like the societal aspect of raising the child and all that so, like, from my perspective, from my vintage point, I, I think the current societal makeup has presents more harm than good to a child upbringing. So, um, case in point is like the, the internet, like this internet page and the smartphone age we're in, like it kind of promotes the short, the short, the short um, attention span kind of things like people are uh, like, what's it called? People are, are into short clips for like 30 seconds and all that. And also the outrage, the outrage culture on social media, then the moral um, decadence in the society. So there are a lot of things that you could point to today's, today's societal culture, especially in this part of the world where we live in, where some forms of habits are glorified, that doesn't necessarily make you a net contributor the global economy at scale. So you see that society is pushing those fads, but at every point in time, the child upbringing, there will always be fad and all that. So like, how do you balance that with the child upbringing? So um, for me, um, we have Netflix at home, yeah? Yeah. But then, but then I, I don't let, there is, there is even you can even create a an account a baby account where the baby will be exposed to to um you know where there's only baby co content there from zero to seven years plus or something like like that and um and of course there are lots of things there are lots of learning material there but then i prefer to curate the content that the child is exposed to you you understand yeah. So, after, um, um, in terms of music, yeah, the the nursery rhymes, nursery rhymes that I expect that the child would encounter in school, yeah, the child would encounter in school. So, uh, download a lot of them from online sources. Download them and um, put them in the drive that you can easily connect to the TV and have them play for an hour or two. You know, when you want the child to be exposed to that. In fact, I have folders in my drive. There is a, a folder for entertainment where those nursery rhymes are, and there is a folder for learning. 
where most some of the content is about learning things, learning colors, learning shapes, learning letters and numbers and things like that. So um, I think I think it makes sense. It makes sense to curate the content that your child will be exposed to in this age. Don't let the child have uh, free reign on a mobile de de on a mobile device where they continue to scroll and scroll and scroll on their own. You know, um, scroll and jump, click something, scroll because you don't know what the algorithm, the uh, YouTube algorithm or Amazon algorithm. If you're using Kindle, uh, uh, Amazon Kindle, you don't know what the algorithm will throw up and the color will be attractive and the child will decide to click on it and then you know uh, the child would start consuming content that uh, it shouldn't consume so um, I think for me that's one way I'm managing it for now I know that eventually it's going to I'm going to have to change strategy I cannot curate for forever but like I said in the earliest of stages where you cannot be philosophical in mm -hmm. conversations with you have to be a bit uh, authoritarian and then eventually you become more philosophical it will be conversations and so on you know and then um there should be things around to especially when the child i'm sorry if i'm talking mostly from the perspective of a child who's uh, really really young zero to two years old because yeah so um there should be offline sources of of um, excitement, sources of curiosity, sources mm. of st stimulation. You should be able to stimulate and sustain uh, curiosity in a child uh, by offline means, which means have you know physical letters and numbers around the house, um, um, have have uh, animal mo models, lion, cat, fish, and so on. Have such things in the house. You know, for the child to interact with from time to time, you know, spend time with the child, teaching the child the names of those things. Let the child understand that there are things outside of the screen that are important. Mm. Outside of the TV screen or phone screen or tablet screen that are important. Because you see, you've talked about me, mimesis, how children learn by basically imitating what they see. Yeah. And almost all adults spend most of their free time on their phone mm. the child is saying that the child is saying that and um try as you might to get the child off the screen if your example doesn't reflect it then you are not likely to uh, get great results with your discipline you might end up just being uh, an authoritarian parent you know who does one thing and then disciplines somebody else for doing exactly the same thing? You you you, you understand. Yeah. So if you don't want to be that uh, hypo, uh, hypocritical hypocritic, uh, parent, then you should do your best to lead by example. If you have to use the phone sometimes, maybe you should hide from the child, especially when you have um, some play toys around and the child is 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 in the mood for play and wants to play. Kindly put your phone aside. Do those things with the child. Let the child see that you also take part in this. That means it has to be good. What yeah. about that your child sees you do? The child's sense of navigating the world. You are largely a compass for the child. So anything you do will be seen as something good. 
there for the child would want to copy. So play with the things. I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> In fact, um, if you're not into rhymes, learn rhymes and so on. Uh, you, there are a lot of things you have to put, put aside to come down to the child's level and do what's good for the child. You know, there is this song that is quite common. This, it's a nursery rhyme. I don't know if you know it. Uh, well, I'm sure you know it because it's in every nursery school out there, at least in the English-speaking world. Um, they talk about... Uh, uh, maybe I should just sing it. It's a very short one. Um, Ring around the roses, pocket full of roses, yeah. ash, ashes all fall down. You know the song. Yeah. I do. Now, it's not a song I like. Why? Because I know the history. I know the history behind this song. Yeah. Yeah. I know the history behind the song. It's a song relating. You know, um, you've heard of the Black Death. There was a yeah. plague. Yeah, I've heard is it the one that came with Spanish influenza also? No, Spanish influenza is much later. This one was just the Black Death. It was around... Spanish influenza was much later. This one is around the 1300s. Oh, okay. Yes, yes, yes. So that's where that song came from. So ring around the rosy, right? It's like when people got the disease, when people got the disease, there yes. was it on the ring on their skin different rings on their skin and i think the ring the rings had a center oh. so that's what that first line re uh, refers to ring around the rosy right and then there was a superstition back then that if you carry a bunch of roses in your pocket as you move, move around or in a pot or in a bottle as yeah. you move, move around the roses would help you avoid the plague so you would not catch the plague and die so that's what the second line is referring to. Oh. Ring around the roses, a pocket full of roses, right? Yeah. And the next line, ashes, ashes. Meaning at the time, because the deaths were so plenty, the easiest way to get rid of the bodies was to cremate. Oh. So everybody became ashes, essentially. Now, regardless of what you did, regardless of how, you know, because at that time, there was no understanding of germs and so on. No antibiotics and blah 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 so oh. this plague just ran through the population and decimated the population so everybody died that's what the last line is saying we all fall down you understand oh so it's like it's 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 i don't like this song you know it's like a it's like a funeral song that has been made into a oh, yeah. i don't know a happy song the nursery rhyme you know Ring around the roses, pockets will love roses, ashes, ashes will all fall down. So, but then, children like it. What will you do? You learn and sing. They call you, you know, when you sing the song, you hold hands, you go yeah. round, 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 and then you fall, you know. So, and because she's much closer to the ground, she falls more quickly. It takes her a split second to get to the ground. I have to come all the way from six, six feet to get to the ground. And if you don't fall, it's an incomplete experience for her. Yeah. So, um, how did you get to this point? I, I, I was saying that you have to put aside, you know, some of... Um, yeah. there's, there's an intellect, an intellectual side to parenting. Yeah, which means you have to stimulate and sustain curiosity in um in 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 
things generally, things that are good for the child to know. Um, and you yourself have to be an intellectually curious person to be able to inst uh, um, in inspire and sustain this curiosity in your, your child. If you're not, you might find it more difficult and you find yourself outsourcing to someone else, outsourcing to the school, outsourcing to the house help, outsourcing to the other parents, you know, something like that. Um, but then, um, if you have a reasonably sound um, intellectual, um, um, should I call it background, or so yeah. in the world of today, in the society of today, it goes a long way in helping your parenting as well. So, I would say that some failures of parenting, some things that, um, let's say, like we're talking about risk, so yeah. in some cases, you might just not know from an intellectual perspective that something is ri 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 risky. Mm. You understand? It's like drinking Coke and not knowing that Coke is harmful for you down the line. It's something you have to read about somewhere. Somebody has to teach it to you. So if you are not exposed to that knowledge, then you don't know. So in that case, your failure to parent properly is not a failure of you know, um, it's not a failure of emotional maturity or stuff like that. It's just a failure of um, uh, intellectual, um, what, what do I call it, now? intellectual acuity. You just don't know something. So you don't know what you don't know and as such it um, affects you in, in ways that you might not even realize until much later. I don't know if that makes uh, sufficient yeah, sense. It makes sense. Before, before we... Before we leave on this issue, there, there's something you said that, that caught my attention and I want to reiterate, and especially in this age of, of the digital age. Like you said, you said, like you said that you should, like the parent should be able to create something offline like, like, um, that is able to captivate the child's attention. Like, so and you, you gave an example of the figurines, like the toys and like the animal figures and stuff. And I and I think that is very crucial. Like most of the things I see these days, like parents get very excited or very giddy when their children know how to press phone or press laptop or tab at their early ages and stuff. So and, and they make it out to seem oh like oh this one a technology child or something in, in that sort of light in the pigeon English yeah. you get and they make it sound like it's a thing. And I look at them and I'm like, Are you serious? Like the child is just basically imitating what the child is seeing you. Exactly. <laughs> they see you use your thumb to scroll, scroll, scroll. Eventually, they will figure it out. Oh, my thumb can do this. Scroll, scroll, scroll. Press something. It's simple. It's yeah. simple. It's not technology. Animals can be taught to do the same. Do like, Monkeys. Do, you know. So having that offline, having that offline component, and that requires that even the parent, you are that state of affair, you're that state of mind where you're able to take time away from the online world and even go offline, read a book, do a pet project, even if it's something as simple as fixing yeah. the house when things are broken and have the child with you, you know, like yeah. because the children, they don't come pre-programmed knowing what is interesting or what is exciting or, or something. Yeah. It's what they yeah. see yeah. and enjoy doing. Yeah, that they start to gain a basis of what is exciting for themselves. So if you if you actually take them through that process of having them see that learning a different language is interesting, learning how to play a, a musical instrument is interesting, learning how to paint is interesting, learning how to cook is interesting, learning how to yeah. get 
friend skills, you, you, you kind of like bring all those offline activities and you put it in such a way you, that captivates them, that interests them, like it creates like for a good learning ground as opposed to having them just holding on the phone, watching cartoon on YouTube, even if it's child, uh, even if it's even if it's a children, even if it's a content, baby content and all that. So there's the aspect of the passive and active stimulation of the brain. So all those videos and all those things are like passive in their nature because the child just have to sit down and do. But at that stage in their life, they need to be more actively stimulated because that is when the neurons in their head are developing. So the more you actively stimulate them, give them things to do, and then their neural pathway is still flexible. So they can get to learn a lot of things before it solidifies. They can create new neural link and all that and and map new activities onto those things so i i think yeah it's very crucial that parents should earlier on think of offline methods through which they can actually teach can you hear me yeah i can hear you so um you are exactly on point one thing we've not talked about is um, um, spiritual um, development of, of a child. You know, um, what's your own take, take on that? Okay. My, my take on the spiritual development of the child is, like, the way this um, spiritual development is packaged now, it's packaged with religion and, and, and all that. So I believe, I, I strongly believe that religion as a framework has some grounding principles that is actually that is actually helpful in teaching the children morals like don't lie like those morals actually helps them to model responsible lives like don't lie don't steal don't cheat and there's this um like part of part of like reading mimesis and all that like um, Rene Gerard like he went through the process of describing how mimesis, mimesis works through the scapegoat and all that then he gave an example of Jesus Christ and, and he's saying that what Mimesis does is it creates conflict in the society because like you are copying this next person and this person. So you, you, you have that case of people copying each other, enters into a competitive loop and becomes a vicious circle that creates envy and strife. So the best way to break that Mimesis loop is to copy like to imitate somebody or to copy somebody or have that mimetic relationship with somebody or something that doesn't generate into envy and strife. And from his example, like Jesus Christ is like, he gave Jesus Christ as a perfect example for that because, so there's, so what I'm saying is like religion provides children with the positive mimesis. So you can actually, it creates all this, it creates um, some rules and guidelines that you can actually copy that you can emulate like love, compassion, don't lie, don't steal, and all those, all those positive that, that kind of like helps them if they apply it to create like a, a better foundation to be well-adjusted and compassionate people in the society. So that is why I think um, um, in their earlier phase, religion plays an important role. So the more they go get older, so they get to the point where they can have a sustained intellectual capacity. Like you might want to descend, you might want to show them the difference between um, religion and, and spirituality and, and like give them enough informational context and enough exposure 
so that they can, what's it called, make decisions for themselves as to the was as the best outcome or how best they want to lead their own life. I think that's where my head is at the moment. So I don't know if I'd like to hear your own thought also. <laughs> yeah, um, you 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 basically ca captured uh, all all the the relevant points. Um, yeah, so um, re religion has a very big role to play, um, and in fact, uh, something else to say be before this um, about the strength of mimesis. A lot of people think that they are in the religion that they are in because they chose it. You know, yeah, yes, my parents brought me into it, but then eventually I decided for myself. I don't think they realize how much of a lie that is, <laughs> because <laughs> because because the statistics show otherwise. If yeah. it was easy to to disconnect from from what you were brought up with, then it would be a 50-50 thing True. across all religions. 50% of people born as Christians would eventually decide because just, just, just because of randomness, if it is really yeah. a choice, 50% of people born uh, in Christianity would decide to choose a different re religion uh, when they decide to make the choice. 50% of people born in uh, Islam would also do the same. 50% of uh, Buddhists and so on. Everybody would do same because there is really a choice. But the reality is that there is really not much of a choice. Most people continue where they were born. So that speaks to the strength of mimesis, how you copy what is around you. You copy the environment you are born into, the social context, the religious context you are born into. Um, that's, that's, okay. that's it. There is really yeah, not much of a choice and that's why the number of persons who change religions is actually very very tiny as compared to those who maintain where they were born so um uh, it's not re re really a choice however um whatever every religion has good tenants that are, are oh yes we have come company now <laughs> She's, she's flying a plane. Oh, I see. And she's giving us one hour of uninterrupted conversation. <laughs> yeah, but she's fly, flying a plane now, so flying a plane cannot be si silent. <laughs> anyway, so, um, 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 what, what, what was I saying? Yeah, religion is a good foundation for introducing people to spirituality, regardless of the religion. Um, I think a few persons might be confused as to what's the difference between spirituality and uh, religion, but I think that's a discussion for another day. The yeah. basic tenets are, like you've mentioned, love, compassion, forgiveness, uh, honesty, integrity, and so on. All of those things have, can be found in uh, every religion out there. So, and those those values, those values are actually um, fundamental to spirituality. So. Um, regardless of where you find yourself in terms of the religious um, options out there, it makes sense to, to, to start imbibing these things in children from a very early age. I know there will be people out there who, uh, and there have been people who um, try to teach spirituality or these uh, values that we value so much yeah. um, outside of a religious 
outside of a religious context. However, I think that in the earliest ages of a, of, 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 of a child, um, as with many other things, you cannot get philosophical with a child as to why it is important to be honest or why it is important to be this and that and that. It just has to come from, a, from an autocratic yeah, authoritarian position, and then eventually there will be that conversation. Uh, you look at the different uh, dialectics that are associated with the thing, and then help the child um, uh, achieve a synthesis that makes sense. You know, okay. you know. Um, so uh, yeah, yeah. I, I yeah. think, I, I think, uh, like that, that. That's like the most difficult part of child upbringing. Um, in fact, okay. I think the education aspect of a child is like the most difficult part of child building or bringing. Because I want you to mention is that like parents or, or guardians, they tend to outsource um, child upbringing. So in terms of sending yeah. to school, yeah, they're relying so much on your religious leader, pastor, imam, or whomever it is to like invite yeah. that, that child. Yeah. And, and I think that's because most people in in their day-to-day -day activities and in their life like they never get to that point where like where they are able to differentiate between religion and spirituality like you said they are still running that auto program of go to church yeah. god yeah. Uh, yeah. i don't do this this if i do this this like most people are still running that auto program so they haven't like they haven't um, gotten to the point where they've actually analyzed themselves in the context of their religion or environment or society and, and, and they're able to, 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 what's it called, they're able to, to do that differentiation that says, this is me as an individual, like this is the social influence on me. This is how my belief system, this is how my society, this is how my family, how my parents, this is the impact they have on me. So they've not been able to, they've not been able to, what's it called, to extricate themselves sort of from that from that and see themselves for who they are. So I, I don't want to call it enlightenment because enlightenment comes like it's, it's, it's much more deeper than that. <laughs> but it's like a progressive yeah. step towards enlightenment. Like they haven't discovered themselves. Yeah. They're still running those societal, those religious, those familial programming that everybody runs. So, and then as a parent, you can't give what you don't have. So if you are not if you are not very attuned that way, you won't be able to guide your child towards spiritual enlightenment or spirituality. If you are not if you are not um, mentally attuned towards knowledge, you won't be able to guide your child towards seeking knowledge or seeking truth. You just let the child yeah. do the normal program, go to church, join the choir, or do whatever it is that is being done. Go to school, get a degree, get a job start their own family and repeat the same circle we see every day. So you have to have that DNA to want all those things to see life differently before you can impact it to your children. And, and it's a beautiful thing, but unfortunately not a lot of people will be able to do that. Even if when they know that is what is supposed to be done, they still won't be able to do it because of how difficult that process is. Not necessarily that the act itself is difficult, the process is difficult, like the things you have to go through, like the, the, the layers of yourself you have to peel back 
to kind of like understand the situation. It's it's not an easy process. So so I think we'll still be stuck with that for that's, very that's, that's that's a well captured. Some something else that um just came to mind is in this uh, whole parenting thing. We've been talking about parenting of self and parenting of uh, the child. Um, I think a lot of parents out there would find themselves in a situation where sometimes or a lot of times or most of the time they have to parent the other parent as well in order to successfully <laughs> parent the child. <laughs> Be before we go there, before we go there I, I want us to touch on something that kind of like ties on to the concept of value. So, okay. Okay. so, so, like, I, I think the situation, the, the, the environment or the uniqueness of the situation where you'd have to parent another parent is when, I don't want to say the value systems are not aligned, but it's like the understanding of what value is, is different for both parents. So at the, at the, at the micro level, all right, yeah. at the micro level, like, there's there's a sem there's a sem semblance okay this is what value is we want our child to eat and all those things and all those things but at the micro level like once the the what's it called the picture begins to expand and how you achieve all that you see that the value is disconnected and I know we had like this conversation offline like the society these days focuses so much there's a there's a lot of focus on emphasis on value but the value is towards the monetary aspect of the value. So you have a situation yeah. whereby one parent is overworking just to put money on the table, to put food on the table, and sometimes they tend to neglect um, the familiar responsibility, which in itself is a value on its own, but you cannot directly quantify it in monetary terms. So that shift, I, I think it creates, it creates that disconnect where you have a situation where one parent that has like a broader view of what value is would have to parent another parent that is still focused on the micro level of value in terms of money and bringing food to the table or i want to give my child the best things in life yeah <laughs> yeah so so um Value is one way to look at the concept of parenting and other parents. There is also other aspects to it as well. Like we've talked about emotional maturity, um, spirituality, yeah. intellect, uh, risk awareness. These are things that um, um, sometimes um, one parent might be more aware than others than the other pa 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 parent. And um, and um, I think in for the benefit of the child, you want at least both parents to be at a certain minimum level of agreement on uh, on on some of the things. So um, the parent who is more aware might have to bring the other parent up to speed uh, so that they can together do the job pro properly. Because it doesn't help if it doesn't help too much if one parent is you know making sure they child is as safe as possible and not playing with knives and the other parent is not um, very aware it's not always um, should I stay present the, the other parent doesn't have that presence of mind yeah, to notice yeah. when the child has gone into the kitchen and has been quiet for some time probably has picked up the knife or is playing with the gas you know things like like that 
it helps that one parent can be aware, but one parent will not always be present, and uh, every other, and uh, it helps it's for the child, the benefit of the child, if, if um, both okay. parents are actually uh, aware to that uh, point. Now, talk, talking about the value thing, yes, um, we are in a society today where, you know, I mean, value comes down to money, basically. Uh, you know, the value of a person even is judged by how much money the person makes. This is a conversation we had, I think, two years ago, myself, you, and Adura, and, and, and so on. I, I, I feel like, I feel like there, is, there, there should be a, the concept of value. It wasn't always money. If you look at history, there were other things that were highly valued. When they said uh, someone was a man of uh, value or value was attached to the concept of a person, a man or a woman, it wasn't necessarily about um, resources or money. Sometimes value came down to integrity. Value came down to honesty. Value came down to loyalty. Value came down to bravery and things like that. But it seems like all of that has now, in our quest for simplicity, because those things are complex, uh, bravery in one case might not be, uh, in one, one person might be brave in one area and not so brave in another area. And then you want, you'd, you'll be um, tasked with, you want to, um, you question as to whether the person is brave in general. You understand, but I think as humanity developed and came to the present day, the need for simplicity became stronger and stronger, and uh, money became an easy way to value a person. You know, there are still situations where people would value things other than would value things other than mon money, but um, money is um, quite central at the moment, and tragically so. Um, so, um, in the context of parenting. You know, of course, you need money to send your child to good schools. You need money to buy nice things for your child, like those uh, figurines that I talked about. Without money, you might have to mold them from clay if you have the skill, you know, things like that. But because uh, with some money, you can buy such things. Um, but I still think that the role of money might be overplayed. For example, mm -hmm. um, for example, you 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 might want to you might have a lot of money but not have the health to actually look after your child properly you understand and now i think to an extent it's largely largely true that nobody can take care of a child better than you to an extent yeah. so you might have the money to pay someone else to do it to do it for you but that person that person might not it is generally best if you can do it yourself so don't put yourself at risk to the extent that um, your health would suffer and uh, you will not be able to parent pro properly uh, don't um, don't and I mean the risk can come in various forms don't uh, drive ri risky driving don't engage in risky lifestyles like drinking and driving at night and things like that you might get into an accident you might actually die and leave a lot of money for the child but then uh, for the greater part of the child's life the child might need for the, 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 the child might need you more than the money you you understand yeah 
the child might need you more than the money. So um, um, there is a sense of value there, right? The child values your time. The child values your attention, your that interaction with you for as long as possible, much more than the money. You know, eventually down the line, when you are 90 plus, yeah, if you can give the child a bunch of money, uh, no problem uh, when you die, but you shouldn't uh, live a lifestyle that endangers you while your children are still too young, you know, to basically navigate the world themselves. And even if there are people around who take care of them and love them properly, there will always be that space that only you could have filled, you know, an emotional space that only you could have filled. And um, I think, I think as parents try to hustle to provide the best for the child, remember that you as a person, as a parent, you are also one of those things that constitute the best for the child. Mm. You understand? Not just the toys or the school or the um, environment where you live, the house, the quality and of the size of a TV screen and blah, blah, blah. Mm. You as an individual is the most important factor amongst all of those things. So if you want to give the child the best, you be your best. And don't be your best at the office, be your best at home. Hmm. Like that 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 that's a very beautiful sentiment that I actually like I actually I agree to because like I see I see like a lot of people these days the social the social emphasis on or how much you break the table or send your children to the best school and all that. Yes, yeah, without a saying and without being naive, that requires a lot of monetary resources and all that. But the concept of like happiness or peace or those things that are abstract. They are not necessarily things that money can buy. Like, yes, money can amplify your current state of being where you'd have um, like more opportunities to do better things or put yourself in a position where you can actually attain those, those states of being, but, but it doesn't substitute for it. So if you optimize for those things, you find out that you can do them with less money. But if you're optimizing for money to achieve them, you, you see yourself on a different trajectory. Like on that note, since we're talking about couples and, and, and parents in the family, so like um, if, if you're like, as everybody, if you get married to somebody else, like you have your own value system, your belief system, your want and your needs, like your significant other has their own value system, their want and need, all right? So there's that, there'll, there'll always be that, um, What's the word? What's it called? There always be that expectation conflict between what a mother wants for the child and what a father wants for the child. I don't want to believe that it will be hundred percent harmonized all the time. So during that issue of expectation, during those phases of expectation conflict, like what are the best ways do you think like parents can resolve that? So um, I think I, I, I think that um, there are different ways that are available for approaching um, such, uh, such questions. And I think it goes to the fundamentals of the family itself. Are you in a family, I mean, the couple have to decide um, the kind of family they want to run. Is it a family where, yeah, the father is the leader of the house, basically, and that makes the final decision on most things? You know, so 
the the the, the, the mother yes would contribute her opinion would say what she thinks is best and how things should be done and trust that uh the the father would take into consideration all of those factors synthesize and come up with a a um a a a, a, a decision you know a strategy going forward that um that works best for the yeah. child so um, that's one framework i don't think and then in 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 another sense you can do some form of uh, division of labor where the person with the most expertise in a particular area makes the final de decision so um yeah some people are more aware of health health uh, uh issues than others so um the person with the with the most if there is a conflict that understanding that okay we are we disagree here however you have more experience with this therefore um this is uh we, let's go with your plan you know unless all let's work together to make sure the plan works and also have the flexibility to change uh if things don't uh go the right way i think that that's one one way to to do it let the person with the most expertise decide at that point or let the person with the most it's 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 easy to work out um uh a scenario where uh at least there can be a, a, a decision maker on uh on issues that arise you know where should this child go to school which where should be where i mean what kind of school should the child attend how far away from the home you know there are a lot of factors that come into play the pedigree of the school the environment within the school um the quality that you expect and so on recommendations from other persons you know it's all it all works together so um yeah i you can run a democratic system however if it's just you and and uh, the other partner and or the, the the other parent and you 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 know you are on opposite sides then it's obviously a stalemate so to reasonably um circumvent that if it's something you can go online online research and find the best way to go about it it's something that's obviously an option that we have in today's world if you can refer to an, a different authority say somebody that you both respect um could be a person in the church or wherever you uh, or your mosque or uh, you know a religious leader it could be uh, your parents you know you can trust that your parents can make the right choice regardless of whose uh, opinion it is you you understand um there are ways around these things um for me personally for me personally i think i tend to to let some things go if i know that i don't have sufficient knowledge and i believe that the uh the the child's uh, mom has better knowledge about this specific area then you know go ahead and make your uh, uh decide but also if it's something we can monitor if we can monitor your 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 solution and identify a potential uh, um, problem with the solution that requires us to change the so solution then we can do that as well so um yeah that's basically that's yeah. basically even in a situation where 
where one one parent can have a final decision. It makes sense to have a plan A, plan B, plan C. So, um, you know, it can work out. Yeah, I, I, I think that, that that's a very reasonable thing. And, and from what from what you described, like one key element I like I want to point out is like coming into that kind of arrangement, like the kind of marriage settings where the the person with the best knowledge in that area makes the final decision. Like yeah. it takes out like it comes from the place of understanding that ultimately both of you have a common goal to achieve yes. what is best for the child and have like a cohesive family where peace and love is. So and that is bigger than the individual ego because most yeah. people come with their sense of identity, which is like ego yeah, from yeah. Into, into marriages and, and, and with the way um, the social dynamic plays out these days where um, people come into the marriage and oh um, and they, they don't want to they don't want it to seem as if they are being overshadowed by the man. Um, in the name of the man um, dominating them and stuff, then the men they don't want to they want to be quote head of the house, and they tend to be obstinate and oh my decision has to be the final and stuff. So that, that's just play, that's just playing an image game. That's playing an identity game. That's playing an ego game. It doesn't help the child. Like whatever the child is the best decision for the child, then any one of the parents can can have that because no one person has complete information at all times. So that's 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 actually very that's actually very good. I think I like your approach. Like I think it's good, and I think I recommend it for most people. If for nothing, it helps them put their ego in check. Um, once you're able to check your ego in a relationship, it kind of helps. So on the on a final note, question, so to say.